Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Good morning, Mercy Northeast. How we doing? Man, it is good to see your beautiful faces this morning. My name is Brett, and I am our student pastor here. And uh, yeah, let's go. Let's go. Y'all, it is a joy to be preaching here this morning. Let me lift this up just a little bit. I've been so excited for this day. I've been praying for this day. I'm excited to be speaking to college students. What's up, Mercy College? How y'all doing? How y'all doing? For any new students in this room and anyone else who doesn't know, I used to be on our college staff here at Mercy, and uh, so it's so cool to be able to have taken a step back from that ministry and to see all that God is doing. He's doing some crazy stuff. I'm excited to be speaking to graduates. Where are my graduates at? Okay, where are my parents at? I'm excited to be speaking to parents. We got any parents in here? Grandparents? Grandparents? All right, y'all are quiet. That's okay. That's all right. But y'all... You already know who I am especially excited to be talking to this morning. Mercy students, where y'all at? Yeah, let's go. Shout out to middle schoolers and high schoolers. Um, I had to do that, y'all. Shameless plug. I'm the student pastor. That's what we do. Today, we're going to be continuing our series through 1 Samuel. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip there. We're going to be in chapter 7. Last week, we took a brief hiatus from 1 Samuel because we learned all about deacons, which was awesome. Felt like I learned a lot. But today, we're going to be jumping right back in. And in the story that we're looking at today, we're going to learn about the victory that Israel sees at a place called Mizpah. And this is really good news because up to this point, Israel has had anything but victory in the story of 1 Samuel. They've been defeated by the Philistines. They've sinned over and over against the Lord. They've had the ark of the Lord stolen from them. It's been tough. And in this text, there's a clear light for them at the end of the tunnel. Victory is coming. However, in order to reach that light at the end of the tunnel, the pathway wouldn't be one that was smooth and easy. It was going to require some work. It's kind of like the Super Bowl tonight. We got any Eagles fans in here? Okay, okay. We got any Chiefs fans? All right, we got like two. That's good. (laughs) Panthers fans? There we go. So they have made it to the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel, these two teams. This was the thing that they have literally dreamed about since they were little boys. It's the thing that they dreamed about at the beginning of the season. And win or lose, getting there was a huge accomplishment. But in order to get there, they had to work hard all season long. Game after game, practice after practice. And the pathway for victory to Israel, the light at the end of the tunnel for them, well, this was also going to require some hard work to get there. And that work for them was the work of repentance. You see, God was ready to extend grace and mercy to his people. But what he required of them was that they repent from the sin and idolatry that they had been indulging in. And today we're going to be looking at what repentance looks like in our lives 
And as I say that, I want to encourage you not to check out. Because I know, like, if we're being honest, a lot of us have a lot going on. And to think, to have any more work to do, we're like, I can't take any more work on my plate right now. We've got enough going on. But what we'll see in the text today is that the work of repentance is worth it. It is so worth it. My wife and I uh, bought a house this past summer, praise God. It's been a huge blessing to us. And the house was kind of a fixer-upper. Had some great bones, but it needed work. And y'all, I am far from chip gains. Like, fixing up a house is not my thing. I can do it, but I don't enjoy it. If you are a handyman, I respect that. I need people like you in my life. So anyway, last summer we bought this house, and according to my wife, it had to be fixed up to live in it. And so all summer long, in the blazing hot 90-degree weather, we were laying floors, we were sleeping under plastic sheets, we had our community group come over and help us move into this thing. Um, Yeah, we had to sleep under plastic sheets because we were having our popcorn ceiling scraped. I don't know if y'all have ever had that, but like breathing in fumes, we had nowhere to live other than our house during this time. It was miserable. Um, Our mattress is in the middle of the living room. Like we argued, we cried. My in-laws lived with us for over a month, if anybody relates to that. And y'all, no joke, Marley was six months pregnant in the midst of all this. So like it was brutal. I literally have a permanent eye twitch from that time in my life. But we did the work. We fixed up our house. And y'all, now there's still upkeep that I have to do, like mowing the grass or little house projects. But the hard work has been done And I can honestly say that I've experienced a season of refreshing in this new home that God has provided, and I'm actually thankful for the work that we did. In the book of Acts, we see that repentance, though it is hard work, it leads weary believers to seasons of refreshment. Look at what Acts 3, verses 19 through 20 says. It says, therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I believe there are some of you in this room today who are tired in the Lord. You've been in a season of weariness of your soul, and you've been longing for some sort of breakthrough, and you've been wondering where in the world has your joy in the Lord gone. And maybe, just maybe, the Lord has brought you in here today so that you can hear from me that repentance brings victory. Repentance brings victory. For Israel in this story, repentance was the thing that the Lord required in order for him to deliver them. And repentance may be the very thing that God is requiring of you for your joy to be restored and for you to finally experience that season of refreshing that you have been longing for. So what I'm going to do is this sermon is I'm going to show you four steps of repentance that brought about victory to Israel. Four steps. And if you're wondering what in the world repentance even is, maybe you've never heard that word, these four steps are also going to serve to build us a definition of the word repentance. And what I'm praying for you is that you will take these with you and that you'll apply them to your life because I believe that they will genuinely, genuinely bring victory in your life as well. Does that sound good? All right, let me pray for us. Isaiah 55, 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, 
so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed the thing for which I sent it. God, we're trusting in your word right now that as it goes out, that it is going to accomplish what you have sent it out to do. As the rain is coming down outside, Lord, we're reminded that we need your word this morning. And so speak, Lord, your servants are listening this morning. God, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to jump into our text, 1 Samuel chapter 7, in the words of Pastor Spence. Are you ready? All right, let's go. 1 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 1, here's what it says. It says, so the people of Kiriath-Jerim came for the ark of the Lord and took it to Abinadab's house on a hill. They consecrated his son Eleazar to take care of it. So I'm going to stop there. So just a quick refresher of where we are in the story. Samuel is serving as a national prophet over Israel. God had chosen him and placed him in this position. And this was a big deal because it had been a long time since Israel had a national prophet. Like Moses was the last one. And where we are in the story of 1 Samuel is that Israel has just been defeated by the Philistines in chapter 4. Pastor Joseph talked about it a couple weeks ago. And after defeating Israel, the Philistines captured the Ark of God, which represented the presence of God with his people. There's a baby born in chapter 4 named Ichabod, which is a super tough name. Sorry to any Ichabods out there. Um, It means the glory has departed. And the glory of God had departed because the Ark of the Lord had been captured by the Philistines. The bottom line is that Israel is in a really bad place. But we get a glimmer of hope in chapter 6 because the ark gets captured. Uh, Sorry, it gets returned. God had been afflicting the Philistines after capturing the ark. And after a while, they're like, bro, we can't do this anymore. We got to get this thing out of here. So they send it back. Well, that glimmer of hope quickly fizzles because when the ark arrives at a place called Beth Shemesh, The Israelites there treat the ark with irreverence and they look inside of it and 70 of them get struck down by the Lord because of it. All of a sudden, the Israelites begin to ask themselves, who is able to stand in the presence of the Lord? And so they decide to send the ark away. Israel sends it away. The glory of the Lord had departed once again and this time it wasn't because it had been captured, but it was the personal choice of Israel. And that brings us up to speed with the verse that we just read. The ark is taken to Kiriath-Jerim to Abinadab's house on a hill. Simply put, the ark was taken to a place where it didn't belong. God was removed from the presence of his people. Looking back at our text in verse 2, it says, Time went by until 20 years had passed since the ark had been taken to Kiriath-Jerim. Then the whole house of Israel longed for the Lord. Samuel told them, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, get rid of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths that are among you. Set your hearts on the Lord and worship only him. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites removed the Baals and the Ashtoreths and worshiped only the Lord. So we see our first step of repentance right here. Step number one of repentance is this. It's turn. Turn. The text says that the ark of God had been in Kiriath-Jerim for 20 years. 20 years. That's a long time. That's almost Tom Brady's whole career right there. We're going to make all the football uh, comments today with Super Bowl. Those long 20 years were not only marked by the presence of God being absent from his people, but Israel had also spent those 20 years worshiping false gods. 
The text tells us their names. They worship the Baals and the Ashtoreths. And what Israel found as they worshiped the Baals and the Ashtoreths is that those gods were no gods at all, but they were empty. And so the whole house of Israel longed for the Lord. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I've never heard of someone in our day and age worshiping a God called Baal or Ashtoreth. Maybe that happened somewhere else in the world, but I haven't heard about it happening in Charlotte, North Carolina. But what I have heard and what I have experienced in our day and age is a similar feeling to what Israel had and that many, many people have turned to something to be filled up by it. They discovered that it was empty and dissatisfying and they've longed for something greater. You see, today, people don't worship the Baals or Asterisks, but I can assure you that they worship other gods. They seek after other things that they think will give them satisfaction and purpose and joy and meaning and identity. Things like money, job, politics, relationships, gaining a following on social media, the gym, food, approval, sex, comfort, your identity as a parent, Education, pornography. There are bales and asterisks everywhere. And many of us, like Israel, have turned to these things year after year. And we found ourselves empty and longing for something greater. Longing for something that can actually satisfy us. And the good news, y'all, is that something greater is here. The Lord is greater and the Lord is here. And he wants you to know him. Samuel tells Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, get rid of the foreign gods and the asterisks that are among you. Set your hearts on the Lord and worship only him. Then he will rescue you. Friends, are you in a place of emptiness and weariness? Do you long for something greater? then you too must turn from the foreign gods that you have been worshiping. The Lord is a jealous God, and he commands that your heart would be devoted to him first and foremost. Otherwise, you will continue down a road of emptiness and sin, which James writes ultimately will lead to death. That's James 1.15. Listen to this quote from Charles Spurgeon. If you've never heard of him, he was a famous preacher in London in the 1800s, and he was preaching on Exodus chapter 34, and this is what he, he says. The Lord Jesus Christ, of whom I now speak, is very jealous of your love, O believer. Did he not choose you? He cannot bear that you should choose another. Did he not buy you with his own blood? He cannot endure that you should think that you're your own or that you belong to this world. He loved you with such a love that he could not stop in heaven without you. He would sooner die that you should perish. He stripped himself to nakedness that he might clothe you with beauty. He bowed his face to shame and spitting that he might lift you up to honor and glory. And he cannot endure that you should love the world and the things of this world. His love is as strong as death towards you and therefore will be as cruel as the grave. God is jealous for your heart. For some of you here today, it's time for you to listen to the words of the prophet Samuel and to turn from the gods that you have been worshiping and to set your heart on the Lord and worship only him. Maybe that means 
it's time to break off that relationship. Maybe that means it's time to change jobs. Maybe that means it's time to delete that social media account. Whatever it may be, it's time to leave behind the things that you've been turning to for satisfaction and to worship only the Lord. But notice that Samuel says, if you are returning with your whole heart, friends, if you're gonna make a decision like this, you can't do it halfway. You have to be ready to go all in. And that's because, that means you have to be desperate. And you have to have learned that satisfaction won't be found anywhere else. Do you know that? Have you learned that? Israel was desperate. They needed something that could actually satisfy them. And so they turned. The text in verse 4 states that they removed the Baals and Ashtoreths and worshipped only the Lord. And look at what happens next. Verse 5. Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord on your behalf. When they gathered at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out in the Lord's presence. They fasted that day, and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the Israelites at Mizpah. We see our next step of repentance here, which is this. Step number two of repentance is confess. Confess. There's a beautiful reality of the Christian life that we see in this text. It's this, that when we obey God and turn from our false gods, God begins to change our affections towards him and towards the world. And the Lord will become more beautiful to us and the world becomes less beautiful to us. We see this here. Israel listens to the rebuke of Samuel. They remove their gods and they begin to worship the Lord. And then we see their hearts start to change. They gathered together. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord. They fasted. They confessed. They said, God, we have sinned against you. Think of how different a picture this was um, from the 20 years that had just gone by, where they were scared to even be in the presence of God. All of a sudden, they're not only in his presence, but they're talking to him. They're openly confessing to him. Their hearts were being changed. Isn't this awesome, y'all? Like, confess. And experience joy. Like, it's so simple. Y'all, as I was prepping this sermon and I was thinking about you, I realized that this actually may be one of the hardest steps of repentance to take. It may be the hardest step of repentance to take. And the reason is because the enemy loves, he loves to use sin as a shame tactic against us to make us want to hide. He's been doing this since the book of Genesis at the very beginning, first human beings, Adam and Eve. In Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve were in a right and beautiful relationship with the Lord in the garden. And everything changes in Genesis 3. They eat from this forbidden fruit. They sin against God. And what immediately happened? The text says they were ashamed of their nakedness. So they covered themselves up with fig leaves and they hid from the presence of the Lord. And for some of you, your sin has made you do the same. You're ashamed of what you have continually gone back to over and over again. And the thought of bringing that sin out in the open literally makes you shudder because you're confident that if someone knew these things about you, the consequences would be insurmountable. And you've been living your life holding this in, and it's so heavy that it feels like it can crush you. And if that's you today, 
I want to tell you the hard truth about your sin, but I also want to tell you that there is someone who you can offload this crushing weight to. You can offload this weight into the arms of someone who can bear it. The hard truth is that your sin does have consequences. For Adam and Eve, their sin had enormous consequences that every single one of us has been affected by. Their sin brought about brokenness in our world that resulted in humankind being subject to death and separation from God. And like Adam and Eve, your sin brought out into the open may mean that you're going to have to face one of the hardest seasons of your life. You're going to have to have conversations that you thought you'd never have to have. Someone may be deeply hurt because of your sin. But brothers and sisters, while this is true, the hope of the gospel is also true. The hope of the gospel is that we have a savior who has borne our shame on the cross and has made a way for us to be completely freed, forgiven, and redeemed by God. Jesus has paid the price for our sins and he offers us a clean slate today. And the way that you can have that is by turning from your sin confessing that you need a savior and placing your faith in Christ. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We have a savior named Jesus who is ready to take the crushing weight of sin off your back today. And you can place it on his. And y'all, Jesus has a really strong back. Like this guy can deadlift 405 easy. <laughs> First John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you tired? Are you weary? Is your sin too heavy for you to carry any longer? Confess it to the Lord and let him take it from you. Israel in our text confessed their sin to God and to each other. And your next step that you may need to take today is to do the same. To confess it to the Lord and to confess it to someone else who can hold you accountable and who can help you. Maybe that's your spouse. Maybe that's a roommate. Maybe that's a pastor here. I say this along with all of our pastors. Like we are here for, for you. We want to talk with you. And so come, come and see us after the service. Friends, I believe that if you confess, you will be shocked by the freedom that your confession brings about. And most importantly, God will be glorified by it. Let's continue in our text to see what happens next. Verse seven, when the Philistines heard that the Israelites had gathered at Mizpah, their rulers marched up towards Israel. When the Israelites heard about it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. The Israelites said to Samuel, don't stop crying out to the Lord our God for us so that he will save us from the Philistines. We see here our next step of repentance, which is this, cry out, cry out. As Israel is gathered together, repenting to the Lord, the Philistines hear about it and they're like, everybody's gathered together. This is a prime opportunity for us just to wipe them out. So just as a pastoral aside, I think there's a word for us in this text here. And it's that we shouldn't be surprised when the enemy tries to attack us as we are obeying Jesus. 
I think about college students who are in here and maybe considering doing City Project. And as they've begun to have conversations about it, they've been met with nothing but opposition, whether that be from your parents or from your own reasoning. I think about moments where I have tried to walk in obedience to the Lord and have been attacked with shame and doubt over the decision I made. I mean, y'all, like even in this sermon, this is no joke, this whole week as I was prepping for it, trusting the Lord, my Bible's open. I'm like, man, I feel like this is what God has for our people. This voice in my head over and over, you're gonna sound so dumb. What are you doing? This is what we see with Israel. As they're finally turning to the Lord after 20 years, war is declared on them. Opposition immediately comes. We shouldn't be surprised when opposition comes as we're trying to obey Jesus. And y'all, we can learn something from how Israel responded in this text. As they heard about this opposition, their response was the right response. It was to cry out in prayer. They recognized that if they were gonna be delivered from the enemy, they didn't need their own strength and their own abilities. They needed the power of God. Their own strength and abilities led them to defeat. Chapter four, like they were trying to do that just recently and the ark of God gets taken from them. And now the things like stuff has changed a little bit. They've removed the gods that they used to go to. They basically have nothing. They have nowhere to turn. So they go to the only place that they can think to is cry out to God. They pleaded with Samuel to pray on their behalf. And y'all look at what happens. Verse nine, Samuel took a young lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on behalf of Israel and the Lord answered him. A young lamb. Y'all see where I'm going with this. Y'all, this is such a clear picture of Jesus. Quick Bible tip. Basically, anytime you see a lamb mentioned in the Old Testament, you can almost guarantee that it's talking about Jesus, that it's a picture of Jesus, the Lamb of God. A couple quick examples. Passover lamb in Exodus. As a plague is coming to wipe out the Egyptians, God instructs Moses to tell Israel to spread the blood of a lamb over the doorpost, and the plague will pass over his people. Hundreds of years later, Jesus would shed his blood to free his children from the plague of sin and death. The lamb in Isaiah 53 who was led to the slaughter. This was pointing to Jesus who would willingly be led to the slaughter on the cross to take on the sin of the world and make many be accounted righteous. And in our story, as we get to this moment of utter despair and crying out for Israel, they were surely about to get wrecked. The prophet Samuel offers a lamb, prays to the Lord, and the Lord answers him. When we have nowhere to go but to cry out to God, there's a lamb who's been offered for us. Jesus, the lamb of God. Look at what happens next in our story. This is crazy. Verse 10, Samuel was offering the burnt offering as the Philistines approached to fight Israel. The Lord thundered loudly against the Philistines that day and threw them into such confusion that they were defeated by Israel. Then the men of Israel charged out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, striking them down all the way to a place below Bethkar. Y'all look at the power of God here. 
as a lamb is being offered up, God thunders from heaven and throws the entire Philistine army into confusion. Quick poll, you ever heard thunder so loud that it threw you into confusion? Right? A couple of people, I haven't. Uh, y'all, this is crazy. Like I've never heard thunder that loud. But God thunders and it confuses an entire army. I think of Psalm 46, 6, where it says nations rage, kingdoms topple. The earth melts when God lifts up his voice. Some of us need to be reminded that as we're crying out to the Lord in repentance, we're crying out to a God who is more powerful than we could ever imagine. Do you believe that God is powerful enough to deliver you from what you're going through right now? Have you given up hope on being delivered from what you're walking through? Have you stopped crying out to the Lord? Brothers and sisters, I urge you to cry out again today and to believe that just as God had the power to thunder from heaven and deliver Israel, he has the power to deliver you. Our God is the God who thunders on behalf of his people. Let's look at the last bit of our text, verse 12. Afterward, Samuel took a stone and set it upright between Mizpah and Shin. He named it Ebenezer, explaining the Lord has helped us to this point. We just sang about this, which is cool. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israel's territory again. The Lord's hand was against the Philistines all of Samuel's life. The cities from Ekron to Gath, which they had taken from Israel, they were restored. Israel even rescued their surrounding territories from Philistine control. There was also peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel throughout his life. Every year he would go on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah and would judge Israel at all these locations. Then he would return to Ramah because his home was there. He judged Israel there, and he built an altar to the Lord there. Y'all, the victory had come. Israel had reached the light at the end of the tunnel. But there was one more step of repentance that they needed, that they needed to take. And that's our last step of repentance, which is to remember the faithfulness of God. After the Lord thunders from heaven and routs the Philistines, after God gives great victory to his people, Samuel takes a stone of remembrance, an Ebenezer, to memorialize the moment that God had delivered his people in such an amazing way. And I love what he says when he sets up the stone. He says, the Lord has helped us up to this point. It's almost as if Samuel was saying, look at all that God has done in the past and rest assured that if he was faithful up to this point, he's going to continue to be faithful to us. The last step of repentance is so important for each of us because y'all, it's difficult when we're in the middle of something to see past our situation. But when we take action to remember the faithfulness of God, I believe it makes repentance that much easier for us because we can clearly see that if God could deliver us then, he can deliver us now. I think of the conversation that I had with my grandfather in 2015 when I gave my life to Jesus. I was so lost, I was 19 years old, I was in one of the darkest places that I had ever been in. And in that conversation with my grandfather, 
God literally brought me out of that darkness and he rescued me. He made me a new creation. And my life has never been the same. And I have to go back to that Ebenezer moment and remember it so often because I know that if God could have saved me when I was at that point, he can definitely deliver me from the trials and struggles that I face today. When I'm caught up in sin, I know that if God would forgive me then, he will forgive me now. We have to remember the faithfulness of God, y'all. Pastor Spence has taught on this text before and something that uh, he and his wife Courtney do is they have a little jar with stones inside of it. And on those stones, they've written down Ebenezer moments in their life together. Things like the address of their first home, their wedding date, the name Mercy Church when they planted Mercy. Um, Like these are moments in their life together and they use these stones as a way to remember how God has been good to them. And this is something that my wife and I have actually started doing. And our most recent stone that we have written has the name Lila on it, which is the name of our five-month-old daughter. It's just one of those moments where we've clearly, so clearly seen the goodness and faithfulness of God. And like, we don't want to forget it. We don't want to forget how good he's been to us. What are your Ebenezer moments? Your baptism, the day you gave your life to Jesus, the day your children were born, the day you graduated, the day you saw God heal a family member, the day God delivered you from your addiction, the day God delivered you from anxiety, the day where a relationship was restored. All of these moments are moments that God has given you so that you can see that he is a faithful and loving God towards you. And y'all, repentance, it can feel scary. And it can feel hard, like hard work, like we talked about. But when we remember the faithfulness of God, we see that we don't have to be scared to turn back to the Lord. He is so good and he is so kind to us. Romans 2.4 tells us that it's actually God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not his wrath. God is a gracious God who is willing to extend grace and mercy to anyone who would turn from their sin and follow after him. That's what he did with Israel in our text. Like y'all, Israel did not deserve the grace of the Lord. They had been rebelling and openly worshiping other gods for 20 years while the ark of the Lord, what they had seen it was at Abinadab's house. They didn't deserve the grace of the Lord, yet God delivered them. He gave them mercy. He was kind to them. God's kindness, not his wrath, is what leads us to repentance. Maybe you don't know off the top of your head what your Ebenezer moments are in your life, but I can promise you that every single one of us shares one. It's the cross. The Ebenezer of all Ebenezers is the cross where our savior was hung so that you and I could be freed and forgiven of our sin once and for all. The cross is the Ebenezer that most clearly shows us that we will never be too far from the grace of God. No matter what sin you may be struggling with right now, no matter what you may be facing, the cross shows us that God loves you and that he wants you. Romans 8 tells us that there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God. That's because of the cross. Like Samuel, 
God has offered up a lamb for us. His name is Jesus. And he was offered up on a cross for us. And y'all, because of Jesus, we can repent to God. We can turn from our sin and find something better in the Lord. We can confess and be healed and forgiven when we do and not met with shame and condemnation. We can cry out to God and God will hear us and answer us. And we can remember the faithfulness of God who carried that cross on his back, who gave his life up for us so that we would know for sure that our God loves us. Friends, I urge you today to repent to the Lord and to receive the grace, the mercy, and the refreshing that he has promised for you. Jesus is worthy of this. Let's pray. Oh God, my heart is mixed with heaviness and gladness at the same time. Heaviness over sin. Lord, we are all sinners. Like we cannot avoid it. And sin is hard because it has those consequences, Lord. But at the same time, Lord, I am glad in my heart because I see the cross. I see you hanging there, Jesus, in my place, my sin on your shoulders. And I see that you offer grace and mercy to anyone who would call upon your name. And so, Lord, I pray for weary sinners in this room today. Lord, would you give the hope of the gospel to them? God, would they know that you love them, that they don't have to be scared of you, but that they can come to you? God, would they turn to you? God, I pray for anyone who maybe has had a hard time remembering the faithfulness of God that even in this moment now that you would show them the ways that you have been so kind and so good to them and that it would stir their heart up for you once again and that they would praise you with an upright heart. Lord, we need you. I pray for anyone who doesn't know Jesus and who hasn't placed their faith in him. Lord, for today to be the day where they decide I'm going all in. My life is, is Christ's. God, we thank you for the hope of the gospel and we worship you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.